Appreciate it. And it is a wonderful to be in the Pacific Northwest. I have, technically I've been in the Pacific Northwest, but I've been on the Canadian side of the border. And so I, I have never been outside of the airport in Seattle. I've flown through a couple times on my way to Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, but I've never been outside of the airport. And so it is good. Now, he mentioned, you know, the Green River Killer did this. And who else was it? Ted Bundy was out in this way. And, and uh, I said, listen, I'm from Milwaukee. We have Jeffrey Dahmer, okay? <laughs> but uh, he, he took it to a whole other level. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, it, is, it is crazy. By the way, I don't know if you ever heard, uh, you can find Jeffrey Dahmer's testimony uh, online. He actually got saved. In jail, you can find it. He, he literally uh, said, I, he said, I was taught all my life that I was nothing more than an animal. And so he said, you know, you don't throw a zebra in jail or a lion in jail for killing a zebra. And he said, all my life I was taught evolution and, and we were nothing more than animals. He said, if we're nothing more than animals, it doesn't matter that we kill and, and uh, eat and do whatever. But uh, he said his dad sent him, as he was in prison, his dad sent him some creation science videos. And he said, he said, for the first time in my life, he said, I thought there might be a creator. And if there's a creator, I'm in trouble. And he said, I never, never came into my consciousness, but he said, if there's a creator and I'm going to stand before him someday, I'm in trouble. And so he said, I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal savior. You know, we sing songs like, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King. And that last verse, he said, uh, he makes the vilest sinners clean, and God is able to save to the uttermost. And I know that seems like an extreme testimony, but the Apostle Paul one day was killing Christians, and the next day he was preaching the gospel. And a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I've got a, I've got a Jewish young man that I'm working with right now. He's about that close to getting saved, and he was he for for months he was just talking to me about different things out of the Bible, and and uh, he said he said the character that. That, that gets me the most. He said, I can't get past the Apostle Paul. He said, there's something about a man who was, he was, he was uh, raised in the Jewish law. He was an expert. He had such a zeal for God. And he's like, all of a sudden, he has this experience. The next day, he's preaching, and he's following Jesus Christ. He said, I just can't wrap my mind around that. And so he sent me a text message, Pastor, last Sunday morning, about 2 o'clock in the morning. He sent me a message that said, I am able and I am willing to invite Jesus Christ into my life. And some of you don't realize what a big thing that is for a young man raised Jewish to say that. That's, that's tremendous. And, uh, but God can save anybody. Aren't you glad he can? Anybody that will repent and turn to Christ? And, but uh, let me introduce you to myself a little bit here. And you can turn your Bibles to, uh, we'll go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, I was born in northwestern Indiana uh, in the city of Gary, Indiana. I, I'm sure I'll probably preach a little bit of my testimony this week. Uh, but I was born in Gary, Indiana. Um, at the time I was born there in 1981, it was the murder capital of the United States. Uh, my mother was 15 years old when she had me. It was, uh, my grandmother had died the year before that, and so she was kind of on her own. And uh, then actually her father had a stroke, and he died shortly uh, after that as well, about, about 14 months later after my grandmother. So my mother was the youngest of eight, kind of raising herself and being raised by older siblings who were uh, dealing drugs and, and all type of other things and partying it up. And so she became pregnant with me at 15 and had me just shy of her 16th birthday. And we didn't know anything about the Lord. Nobody, we didn't go to church. Nobody in our family, as far as we knew, 
Um, as far as I knew at the time, nobody knew the Lord. I actually found, or I didn't find it, somebody else found my great-grandmother's Bible, and uh, it was obvious she knew the Lord. And uh, a lot of, I was researching a lot of family history last year, 2020 and 2021, and I started finding things and all these different things from older relatives that I hadn't, I didn't even know were out there and uh, sitting in my great-grandmother's Bible. And then she would have, she recorded all the births and weddings and everything else in her big family Bible. And uh, so we're going back almost, you know, uh, to the early 19 and 1800s through her Bible alone. But, um, but at the time, nobody really knew the Lord to follow the things of God. And, and uh, when I was three, when I was four years old, uh, there was a church in Chesterton, Indiana that ran buses into Gary. And so I was picked up by a church bus at four years old. And uh, it, this is an amazing story. Uh, that was four years old. Let's see, 40 now. So 36 years later. And last week, I preached at that church. And for the first time ever, uh, I preached a chapel and then a bus teen rally for them. And talk about coming full circle. But uh, and then everything we had when I was five years old burned up in a fire in a, in back in Gary. And so it kind of precipitated us moving to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And so we knew some people that lived there. And I think one of my aunts had already moved up. And so we uh, I grew up mainly in Milwaukee and we would go to anybody that would run a bus or a van. And so all type of churches back then used to run buses and vans. And so I've been to every assembly of God, apostolic, whatever. And I think I went to a Catholic church one time. I remember dipping my fingers in there and going like this. But uh, uh, that or it was a sink that was clogged, one of the two, I don't remember. But, um, but we had a great time. And, and, uh, but then I lived down the, the block, about five blocks away from Faith Baptist Church. My cousin lived, I lived on kind of the end of this block over here. My cousin lived kind of the end of the other block over here. And there was a lady in between us. She had six daughters. And she was a member of Faith Baptist Church. And so on the 4th of July in 1992, she invited us to come to the church picnic. And uh, I, I, well, my first thought was, you know, I've never seen this lady before in my life, but my cousin, I think, had been to the church. And he said, well, you guys want to go to the pastor's house with us? And I said, well, is there going to be food? <laughs> now, I wasn't as familiar with Baptists as I am now, okay? <laughs> Every time we meet, there's got to be something to eat, amen? And uh, meet, greet, eat, and leave. You know, <laughs> it's like, uh, that's our mantra there. You heard, you heard about the three little boys that brought a symbol of their religion. And uh, Milwaukee, of course, we're kind of a melting pot of a melting pot. And uh, we've got every kind of festival, ethnic festival you could imagine. And Greek Fest, Festa Italiana, Fiesta Mexicana, I mean, all, all type of festival, Bastille Days, uh, German Fest, and uh, we even have Asian Moon Festival, we have Filipinos, it, it, it's everything. And uh, all type of religions, too. We've got a matter of fact, on our church, if you were to go to, I, I don't think you've been to our new building, have you? Uh, if you go to our, where our new building is and start on the far end, there's a progressive Catholic church down here. There's a Methodist church about two doors down from us. If you keep going this way, there's a Egyptian Coptic church at the end of our street, and then the largest assembly of God in the state, and then if you go away, there's was about 80 Catholic churches, and then if you go way down, there's the Islamic Community Center. Uh, we got all type of things. So there were some boys in the, in the local school there, and they wanted to bring a symbol of their religion. And so the little Catholic boy, he brought you know, some rosary beads to church with him and a candle. And then the Egyptian Coptic boy, he brought a mock of the Book of Scrolls with him to school. Then the Muslim boy, he brought his prayer rug to school, and they also have their prayer beads as well. And, uh, you know, and then the Baptist boy came to school, and he had a casserole dish, amen? But, uh, 
But uh, I started going to church there, and, and I got introduced to the people that day. And here's, here's what I remember. And a lot of my ministry has been involved in music, but here's what I remembered about that church service on 4th of July. I remember we had a little service at the end. We had games and played and, and did a lot of fun things and ate a lot, uh, probably more than I should have. But we, we had a little service at the end. At the pa- it was at the pastor's house. And, uh, and I remember they sang Victory in Jesus. And I remember thinking in my head, these people have something that I don't have. That's just the way, I mean, it just, it was so obvious. They had something, they were singing from a place that I wasn't singing from. And I had been to churches, I'm talking about that, shout it out, run the aisles, faint, you know, slap each other on the forehead, speak like, you know, uh, gibberish going on there. And I, I'd never seen people sing like this. It was like straight out of their soul. And so it got my attention. So I started coming to church on the bus, and or if the bus wouldn't come, I'd walk, and and uh, on March 21st, 1993, on a Sunday night, I walked the aisle. I knew I was, I, I, this is how it was. I, st- I thought, if that preacher doesn't stop preaching right now, this floor is going to open up. Hell's going to open up. I'm going straight there right now. That's just as, that's as clear as I was. I was lost. And uh, I was under conviction. Man, God was just all over me in that service. I thought, if that preacher ever shuts up, I'm going to get saved. And thank God, after about five hours, he finally shut up, and I went and got saved. <laughs> And if you know Pastor Noonan, that's not far from truth, you know, far from uh, the, the truth there. But uh, I got saved that night, March 21st, 1993, and the Lord has done a great work in my life. I surrendered to preach about two, two years later or so, and God just began to work in my life. I actually ended up living with my pastor at that same house where I came to. Before I ever came to a church service, I came to this house, and the Lord allowed me to live there for about three years uh, up until uh, after I graduated high school, up until I got married, all through Bible college. That was my home. And so the Lord's been good, and I've been married for almost 20 years. January 3rd, I know I, I got married when I was five, so. <laughs> I know I don't look that old. But uh, no, um, married 20 years. We've got three boys, Jade, uh, Dylan, Aaron, who's 15, Dylan, who's 12, and then Jaden, who's nine years old and enjoying life. So three boys, and they're a blessing, and maybe we'll get a chance to meet them someday. Second Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And the scripture says this, of those things, verse 14, I'm sorry, of those things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to subverting of the hearers. And then we're all familiar verse that is, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, uh, you've been exposed to this verse, study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more uh, ungodliness. He goes on to explain some things. It seems like, well, let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the opportunity to be at Berean Baptist Church this morning. And Father, I pray that you would help me to just be a help, uh, not only this morning during this Sunday school hour, but during the church hour and and for the revival to come, and uh, Lord, I surely don't bring revival with me, but I surely uh, am expecting and anticipating and begging you for it. I pray that you do something in this room, in this property, this week, that can only be explained by the power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, empty me of self and fill me with the, with the Spirit of God. I yield myself to you. Help me to say everything I ought to say today. Help me to say nothing that I shouldn't say. 
We'll give you all the praise and the glory, Lord. If there's any lost man that shows up or lost lady, I pray that they'd be born again by your spirit and by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We look at the scripture here, and you can tell Paul, who's dealing with Timothy in the ministry, this is his, at one point, Paul calls Timothy his son in the ministry. And Paul has a very, uh, very burdened about Timothy, and, and he's been a very instrumental in Timothy's life, by the way. He's told him, I besought thee to abide at Ephesus still, and he was, he was giving him some instructions here, and all through 1 Timothy, there's some very vivid instructions, but you can almost see the concern of Paul, uh, I don't think I'll preach out of it this week, maybe I will, but uh, the book of Philippians is it's my favorite book in all the Bible. Um, I, I've memorized it as a teenager, I still have much of it committed to memory, the older I get, the less I have of memory, and uh, of Philippians there, but it just, I love it because it just reveals the heart of the Apostle Paul. Uh, and there's so much about that first chapter of, of that in Ephesians and really every epistle that he wrote. He's like, man, Paul is both his service to Jesus Christ. He's always like, I, I beseech you by the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's all these uh, concerns that he has. And it seems like as he's winding down his life here and he gets into Second Timothy, that he's very concerned about the teachings that are coming in. Obviously, in the, even in the book of Galatians, he admonishes people and deals with legalism and liberalism at the same time in the church there. But Paul is very concerned. But here's his son in the faith, Timothy, and he gives him a warning in chapter 2. And he said, Thou therefore, my son, he says it again, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach also. He tells them to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He talked about in verse number uh, four about uh, not being entangled with the affairs of this world. And he goes on and on about striving lawfully. But it's, it seems like one of his biggest concerns when you get into the second part of chapter two and into chapter three and into chapter four is what we do with God's word. I heard a man say years ago, God will do with you what you do with his word. There comes a point, I forget which scripture it is, for some reason the reference uh, uh, slips my mind, but it said they, they cast his words behind them. And I'm going to tell you, many of us, we, we tend to uh, come to a place like this in churches like this that are Bible preaching churches and even those of us that are in Bible preaching churches a lot of times many of us uh, we grab that thing on Sunday morning we set it aside if we come back Sunday night we may grab it again and then Monday it sits on a shelf and Tuesday it sits on a shelf and Wednesday it sits on a shelf and maybe Wednesday night uh, I think it's is that your midweek service here you may grab it on a Wednesday night and then put it back on that shelf until Sunday morning again and let me tell you uh, that, that represents a life that's probably not being very used by the Lord very much. Because often what we do with God's word, God will do with us. And we expect the Lord to send us a, a great revival. Listen, there'll be no great revival without a great appreciation and a reading of God's word. My heart is so stirred oftentimes when I read the book of Ezra. And I, they got so excited and, and uh, he sent them out and he said, we found the book. And we found the book and he, all the people got excited that he found it. By the way, I found the book. I, it's been here for about 400 years. And I'm glad I found that book. Amen. And, uh, but he said, they said, we found the book, and the Bible says Ezra uh, caused the book to be read amongst the people. Now listen, they didn't preach, they didn't have a revival, they didn't have a missions conference, they didn't have an expository explanation. All they did was stand up and read the Word of God, and when they read the Word of God, the Bible says the people began to weep, and they began to cry, and they began to call out upon the name of the Lord, and they got right with God again. How'd you like a revival like that in your church? 
The average person, if I, mean, if I read more than five verses in my introduction of Scripture, they check out. And yet God's recipe for revival is we've got to get back to his book. Jeremiah said this, he said his word, he said it got to the place where his word was like a fire in my bones. He said, and I couldn't help but prophesy. I don't know who in here may or may not be called to ministry or called to minister or you teach a Sunday school class or you preach the word of God. But I'm going to tell you, when you've been heavy in the word of God, there is something that it does to your heart and soul. And you can't help but to want to share it with somebody. You can't help but to talk about it. You can't help but to come out of your pores. Right? What they say, what's in the well comes out in the bucket. And it is obvious that most Christians, there's not a lot of Bible down in the bucket. Because we talk about philosophy and we talk about human reasoning and we talk about our own thoughts and we talk about what our favorite preacher might say and we talk about maybe what our Bible college has taught us, but very rarely do we have a discussion about the Word of God. When's the last time you outside of church had a talk and a discussion about the Word of God? When was the last time you brought it up to somebody and said, hey, this is what I got out of the word of God. I appreciate there's some men that text me every Sunday morning without fail. And, uh, and, and some of them are associated with Bible schools and so forth. Some of them are not. Uh, some of them are just laymen. But they, they text me the word of God and they discuss the word of God. Listen, I love it. And I'm not standing before you here today saying I'm always uh, the perfect picture of discussing the word of God. But I thank God there's some people in my life that pushed me towards the word of God and discussing it. I want to take a look this morning as briefly as I possibly can. I got a lot to say, so I don't know if I put that to the side, and a little time to say it. So let's jump right into this. Why do we study the Bible? I just I want to give you this, and then I'm going to give you some thoughts uh, out of these passages here. Why do we study the Word of God? Uh, take a look at this. In verse number 15, he said, We study to show ourselves approved unto God. You know, the Bible does not, the Bible never says, and it's, it's amazing that. Uh, we get, and I love the name of your church, by the way, and, uh, because the Bereans would say they were more noble than the others. Why? Because they searched the scriptures daily to see if those things that they were preaching were so. And by the way, every one of us, I hear people say all the time, well, I'm not a Bible scholar, and I say, why not? Why not? I believe every Christian ought to be a Bible scholar of sorts. I don't mean have a title somewhere, but I mean every one of us ought to be students, great students of the Bible. You know, uh, uh, there was a man who got saved one time, and, and he came by, the Catholic priest came by his house, and he, the Catholic priest, he was a former Catholic man, the Catholic priest saw a Bible on his table there, and he got real nervous. Usually false religion gets real nervous around the Bible. He got real nervous about the Bible, and, and the man began to explain to him how he got saved. And the Catholic priest said, you got to understand, son. Yeah, you got to understand, that's the milk. The, the Bible is called the milk. And, and he said, I'm the milkman. Only I can deliver the word of God. And, and he went on and on about being the milkman. And finally, that man stopped me and said, listen, sir. He said, I hate to tell you this, but I got my own cow now. <laughs> and some of you need your own cow. It's called the word of God. I don't need the milkman to give me anything. I don't listen. If all you get, if only, the only Bible you get as, as, is at church, you're a pretty anemic Christian. And I'm not mad at you, but I'm just explaining to you why some of us are having the struggles that we're having. Is because the only time we ever, how would, you, how would you look if you only ate a meal on Sunday school, a meal Sunday morning, a meal Sunday night, and one meal on Wednesday night? And that's if you're an outstanding Christian. 
Could you imagine how I, I definitely look nothing like I do right now. Amen. Could you imagine if that was the only time you ever ate? Then let me ask you this. How you doing about the only time you're ever eating is when you're in church? But, well, watch this. The Bible did not say we would not be ashamed if we read the Bible. The Bible said we would not be ashamed if we studied the Bible. Do you know in all scripture, it's okay if I walk around. Good, because I have ADD and I may see something that distracts me. (laughs) Squirrel, no. But uh, understand this. Nowhere in the scripture do you find God promising much to Bible readers. But he promises much to Bible studiers and Bible meditators. Joshua, I think it's Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night to observe to do all according to all that is written therein. Then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou, thou shalt have good success. He promises blessings to those that will study and meditate upon the scriptures. Psalm 1, the entirety of Psalm chapter 1 is all about the Bible. Uh, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor say, I, I remember hearing uh, people preach on that as, as a teenager, and, and they talk about not getting counsel from the wrong people, and they talk about not standing in the way of sinners and sitting in the seat of the scornful and don't want to be about. That's not what, that's, I mean, that's, that's okay to apply that to the Scripture, but it's talking about the Bible. It's talking about getting advice that is contrary to the Word of God. Uh, it says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And then what happens? And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. That's that blessing that we're talking about. But whatsoever you do is shall prosper. But guess what? The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. Why? Because they're in this book. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. God promises to bless Bible meditators. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? You young people, you're having a hard time with sin? You're having a hard time with temptation? You're having a hard time with lust? Uh, even us old fellas, I'm getting into that category more and more each day. And uh, it used to be where they say, all the young preachers stand up. Everybody 30 and below. I was like, what? I'm like, I'm missing the cutoff by a decade now. You having a problem, young man? The Bible says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my that I might not against. It's pretty plain. Uh, he said, he said in, in Psalm chapter 119, he talked about it. Man, you, you see the attitude of David towards the word of God. And I love it that the longest chapter in the Bible, uh, when they divided the scriptures up as they were translating into the English language, God did not put chapter divisions, okay, in the Bible. But the longest segment of scripture is about the word of God. I love it. I love it. In Psalm 119, it says, my heart standeth in awe of thy word. I will seven times a day, he said, I will praise him for his righteous judgment. I love it. And get to verse 98 and 99 and 100. It says, oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation 
all the day. Matter of fact, he said, I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. Thy word, 105, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I think it's verse 65. He said, thy word is very pure. Therefore, thy servants loveth it. We've got to get into the word of God. And we've got to learn to meditate upon the word of God. You say, Brother Alan, what does meditate mean? Oh, I'm skipping a little bit here. And uh, I'll give you my points in a minute. Here's what meditate means. How many know, you ever heard of a ruminant? Anybody know what a ruminant is? Okay. A cow is one type of ruminant. What's that? Multiple stomachs, okay. Uh, something that has multiple stomachs where it's digesting these things over and over and over again, okay. I was at, uh, uh, camels are ruminants. I was at, I was at a um, Milwaukee Zoo. We've, we've got a pretty famous zoo there, and, and that's not as famous as like San Diego or Brookfield Zoo in Illinois, but it's a pretty good zoo. And I was there, I was watching these camels. Here's what I noticed about a camel. I'm watching this thing chew. I got my group with me there, a group of teenagers with me on a school field trip. And here's what I noticed about the camels. They start chewing. Here's what I noticed. They change directions every time they chew. I sat there for 15 minutes to prove that. <laughs> they were probably like, who is this idiot looking at a camel chew? I mean, literally, it changed, every time it chewed, it changed directions with its jaw. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm boring. <laughs> I mean, that's just like, I think that's tiring. And I, so I watched this thing, I watched it, and all of a sudden, it would stop. And you see a lump in its throat. And he'd go, and he'd smile real big. And then you'd see that come back up. And he'd go. <laughs> and then a couple seconds later, he'd go. And he would go. And he'd go. What was he doing? He was ruminating. You know what you're supposed to do with the Bible? That's the only thing some of you remember all week long. <laughs> Brother Allen said you ought to have spiritual bulimia. No, but, uh, you know, I used to have anorexia, but I cured it, you know, <laughs> a couple years ago. Good to see you, Mrs. Reno. God bless you, sister. And uh, you, you're so much better than him. I just don't know what, no, he's kidding. But, uh, and, uh, but uh, we're supposed to ruminate on scripture. What, what would it be like in your family if instead of having roast preacher on Sunday afternoon, you said, man, that was a good message. Boy, kids, that was good, wasn't it? What, what would it be like if you came back Sunday night and preacher fed you? Okay. You got up Monday morning. Man, wife, that, that preacher was right, man. We need to get things right. We got to forgive. We got to. We got to study. We got to. We got to pray together. We got to get these kids, man. We got to get the word of God in them. What would it be like if we had a church full of Christians ruminating on the scriptures? In our modern day and age, here's what we do: we come to church, we check our little box, 
We come to a revival and say, oh, we had a revival. I'll tell you one of the greatest indications of revival. What are you doing with this book? Because I know this, the more you get this book in your life, the more revived you're going to be. And I'm telling you, we've got to get back to the place, and we, we can talk about all the dangers, and we will in a moment here. Let's take a look down. We see the warning, uh, chapter, verse number 10 of chapter 3. The Bible says this, That thou hast fully known my doctrine, the manner of life, and purpose of faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience, persecutions, afflictions, which uh, came unto me at Antioch, and at Iconium, and at Lystra, uh, uh, what persecutions I endured, but out of them the Lord delivered me all. He's, but he starts off and he says, you know my doctrine. How do you know his doctrine? It's the word of God. He taught it. It was what God was teaching him. Uh, but the Bible says in verse number 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Oh, my soul, if we don't live in that day right now. It's getting worse, isn't it? And by the way, people, people all the time, it's never been this bad. <laughs> Somebody told me that the other day, it's never been this bad in the world. And I said, do you realize in the church at, in, the, in, the, in Corinth, in the Bible, they literally had male prostitutes living at a temple? I mean, it's pretty bad out here, but it's going to get a lot worse. <laughs> Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, I tell people that all the time. It's going to get a lot worse. Like, yay. <laughs> and, uh, but he said, he said they're going to wax worse and worse. They're going to be deceiving and being deceived. We're, we're, unfortunately, we're just now seeing it in our nation. But my heart breaks for some of the places around the world. I think of India where, I mean, I saw a special years ago, a documentary, and because uh, I don't watch movies, and I saw a documentary uh, years ago, and they talked about these young ladies that, that were literally sold by their relatives, and they lived their entire teenage existence and uh, uh, adult existence in brothels in India being sold to perverted men. And I thought, man, my heart broke for these. That's all they'll ever know. My heart breaks for them. And we're just now getting a taste of some things in the United States. And by the way, we whine about it all the way, don't we? Anyways, I better get off that subject. But it said, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has, has uh, been assured of. Listen, by the way, let me say this. If you've got a Bible preaching pastor, you ought to thank the Lord. Because you can continue in the things which you have learned. Preacher, I've had to unlearn some things. I have. Unfortunately, uh, one time we had a man preach at our church, and he preached a message on the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and Pastor and I, were we, you got to know my relationship with my pastor, Pastor Dean Noonan. And uh, we, we're close, and like I said, I live with him. He's like a dad to me. And I, we went back into the office after the service. The fellow had left and went on his way. And, uh, and I'm, we're sitting in the preacher's office in his chair, and he said, well, he said, what do you think about that? And I said, well, I said, that was a good service, but it wasn't scriptural. <laughs> and he's like, all right, next subject. And, uh, but I'm, I'm t I've had to unlearn some things listening to some people. And I don't sit there with a critical ear. I'm not, I'm not one of those people. And, uh, but there's certain things like, oh, man, I wish you wouldn't have said that. But if you've got a Bible preaching pastor, you ought to thank the Lord for that. Because you can continue in the things which you learned. And of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And watch this. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Aren't you glad you have the Holy Scriptures? Which were able to make thee wise unto salvation. Then he goes into all Scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That tells me what's right. 
uh, for reproof that tells me what's not right, for correction that tells me how to get something right, and for instructions that tells me how to keep it right and live for the Lord. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished on all good works. He said, listen, if the preacher's going to be all that he can be, he's going to have to get in the word of God. You Sunday school teachers, in order for you to be all as effective as you need to be, we've got to be people of the book. By the way, it's amazing that even Islam itself teaches their people, if you have questions, go to the people of the book. Speaking of Jewish people and Christians. And isn't it amazing that they would call us people of the book and, and we wouldn't live up to that moniker? We've got to be people of the book. And then he gets into this, verse chapter 4. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke uh, with all longsuffering and doctrine. For here it is. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heed to themselves teachers, having itching ears. Watch this. They shall turn away their ears from the truth, and it shall be turned unto fables. This is America right now. There are some nations like England, they did this years ago. But we're seeing that you are, you are getting an up-close picture of the breakdown of a society from a Bible-centered society to a self-centered society. And it will soon turn to a satanic-centered society. He said, here's what's going to happen. They're no longer going to endure sound doctrine. By the way, I like that word endure because sometimes you just got to listen, man up and take it. We got a generation that don't want to man up over anything. I mean, we got, we got a generation of men. I mean, they, I mean all it takes, I mean, they talk about the straw that breaks the camel's back. Some of them don't even need a straw. We're so broken down. We're not, we're not enduring hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ anymore. We're buckling under the most, I mean, somebody says something about us on social media one time and we're ready to throw in a towel. They criticized my church. Good. They threw the apostles in boiling oil. They crucified Peter sideways. They crucified Andrew, uh, Peter upside down. They crucified Andrew sideways. Thomas was martyred in India. Listen, they put John in the boiling oil. Uh, They chopped their heads off. They were sawn asunder, and they crucified Jesus. But dear Lord, help us if somebody makes a Facebook post about us. It says they're not going to endure sound doctrine. You know what that means? Sometimes it's tough to get sound doctrine. I'm probably going to say some things that might be a little tough to chew on this week. But if it's out of that book, you better stick with it. If it ain't out of the book, listen, you can spit it out in that garbage can outside when you get out of there because you're not responsible for that. But if it's in this book, you need to endure sound doctrine. But it says they're going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Hey, and by the way, that's what our modern day, our modern day, even amongst conservative circles here, that's why people are turning to reform theology. You know why? Because they want to have itching ears. They want to be taught. They don't want to be challenged. They don't want to be revived. They want a pseudo-intellectualism. And the other crowd, they don't want to be taught either. They just want to be taught how to have their best life now. And that's why the number one selling books making $50 million a year. We have the largest church in America with a pastor making $50 million a year talking about how to live your best life now. Well, can I tell you something? I'm going to heaven. I'll live my best life right when I check out of here. 
but they're not enduring sound. And that's why they won't say the word sin. They won't talk about repentance. They won't talk about getting right with God. They won't mention the word hell. You know why? Because their crowd will not endure that sound doctrine. They don't want the word of God. And let me tell you, if you don't want the word of God, you really don't want God. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. By Him all things were made, and there was nothing made without Him that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm going to tell you, if you don't want the Word of God, you don't want much Jesus in your life. He said this, but you need to watch in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work, and we we can go on here, here, boy, I got to get to this, okay. Uh, Number one, we study the word of God to tell us what we ought to believe and why. We study the word of God to tell us what to believe and why. You see, this sermon started because, this and another one like it started because I started asking questions. We have a Christian school and a decent sized Christian school back home, and I started asking in in our senior high chapel, I started asking people why they believe what they believe. Why'd you get baptized after you got saved? Uh, it's the first step of obedience after you get saved. Where's that in the Bible? Is that in the Bible? Is that all baptism means? You just blindly just say, okay, I got it. Or is it the death to self, buried in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in the newness of life? When you get baptized, you know what you are saying? I am, a, I am not only accepting, willing to accept Jesus Christ, but I am dying to my old ways, and I am living a resurrected life. It's like that wedding ring. The wedding ring not only tells people that I'm married, it also tells people I'm unavailable. And your baptism ought to tell people, it ought to tell Satan, and ought to tell every other false religion out here, I am no longer available. But we leave, look at this, why do we believe in hell? Why do you believe in going to church? Why? Because Hebrews 10.25 told me to forsake not the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is, but he said so much, but, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hey, as we get closer to Jesus Christ coming back, we ought to be going to church more, not less. That's Bible right there. Somebody said, I don't believe in Sunday night church. It's not in the Bible. Okay, then meet every day because that is in there. Some of you are like, let's not go that biblical <laughs> this morning. I mean, I'm not even showing up for the revival this week. I mean, no. But uh, we, we, we need to find out what do we believe. When I got saved, Pastor, and I got about two minutes left. When I got saved, here's what I did. I got saved on March 21st, 1993. That was Sunday. The next day was the start of spring break. And I, I thought this. I got saved, and I was like, wait a minute. Saved means I believe this book. That's what it meant to me. I believe this book, and I believe the God of this Bible. And so I said, man, if I'm going to say I believe in the God of that Bible, I probably should find out what's in there. Up to that time, I knew John 3.16, because I learned it at the Assembly of God Church, and Matthew 7.12, the golden rule. And I knew the story of Job, because once I went to a sanctified church, hallelujah, and, uh, and they taught me the story of Job. That's all I knew out of the Bible. I knew the resurrection, because when I was four years old, they told me about the resurrection at that church in Indiana. And I thought, man, I, if I'm going to claim, I, I believe we need another generation of Christians to say, if I'm going to claim I believe the book, I better know what's in the book. Because if it says Jesus is coming back on a bunch of purple elephants, I want to know that. So Monday morning, I woke up, cracked open Genesis 1-1. I read the entire Old Testament in three days. 
I read the New Testament in two days. Five days, cover to cover, read the entire Bible. Now, don't get impressed by that. I've never done it again. And I don't plan on doing it again. But I wanted to know what was in there. By the way, the average person at the average speed, and some of you can read pretty fast. I saw my mother growing up. She, my mother only had a 10th grade education growing up when she, she had me dropped out of school. She'd read books that thick in one night. But the average reader in here, it would take you 72 hours to read the Bible cover to cover. Three days. Cover to cover. You say, but that's nonstop. Okay. Most days, you know, there's, uh, you got to sleep, you got to work. So let's multiply that by three. Nine days. You say, but now I can't read eight hours a day. Can you read one hour a day? One hour a day? That'd take you about, what, uh, three weeks to read the Bible. And I think a lot of us would be embarrassed if I said, who's read the Bible cover to cover? We can't claim we believe a book and we don't know what's in it. We've got to get back to this book, people. We, we look at the Bible to tell us what we ought to believe. And by the way, it is the only way to stop apostasy. It is the only way to, to, to tear down false religion. It is the only way to be assured and to continue in the things which we have learned. Watch this. Listen to this very quickly. Uh, we tell us what to believe and why. Um, I'll get into this in a second here. It tells us what not to believe. You know why I don't believe baptism saves you? It's not in the Bible. You want to know why I don't believe you can work your way to heaven? It's not in the Bible. You know why I believe that the saved will be raptured? Because it's in the Bible. You know why I believe in the local, visible body? Because it's in the Bible. You know why I believe that there is life after death and not just soul sleep like Jehovah's Witnesses teach us? Because it's in the Bible. You know how I believe you don't, will not become your own little God of your own little planet like Mormons teach you? Because it's in the Bible. You know how I believe that Jesus and the devil are not bro- and Michael are not brothers? Because it's not in the Bible. The Bible tells me what not to believe as well. And then the Bible tells me what to do. The Bible builds confidence in God. Watch this. Here, what to do. Here we go. Here's how we live by the Bible. I'm going to shut up. We need to build our lives upon, number one, the commandments of the Bible. What does God directly tell you to do? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. That is a direct command of the Bible. Be not drunk with wine. That is a direct command of the Bible. Be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not an advice. That is a command in the Bible. Thou shalt not, if you will. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not have uh, uh, false gods, any other god before me. All of those thou shalt not statements in the Bible. If God clearly said it, no more discussion. Uh, like this. Look not thou upon the, all these preachers that are confused about whether they ought to drink or not. Well, let's clear it up. Look not upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. For alas, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an ad- adder. That's clear. You're not supposed to look on it when it's changing colors and moving. And by the way, that's what happens in the fermentation process. It's very clear. Be not among wine bibbers. That's command. So I can go by the commands in the word of God. Does the Bible tell me to do this or not to do this? Secondly, by the statements in the word of God. 
Okay? There's a statement, look not upon the wine, be not among wine bibbers. But check this out. There's also, it's not a command, but it's a statement. Woe unto them that giveth his neighbor drink. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. That's a statement. And I said, the Bible said it. Who hath redness of eyes? Who hath sorrows? Who hath wounds without cause? But they that tarry long at the wine, and they that go to seek mixed drinks. That's a clear statement of the word of God. And then, number three, and we're done, the illustrations or the stories in the word of God. Do we have a story of drunkenness in the Bible? Sure we do in the first eight chapters. Noah gets drunk, gets naked. Son uncovers his nakedness. Turns, his son becomes a pervert. But it all started with a touch of alcohol. You say, well, I, I just drink a little bit. I don't have time to go there this morning. But I, I'm, just, I'm just telling you. I can give you testimony of my own family. Though alcohol is, one drop of alcohol has never helped my family. It doesn't put families together. It tears families apart. And I can look at the illustrations in the Bible. By the way, you're commanded to be sober. But as we look at the word of God in this world, let's go to evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. If you do not tether your life and your family and this church to the word of God, you will drift anywhere. And I see people in my life, when they take that anchor up of the word of God, all of a sudden they're drifting into stuff that years ago, they, it would have made them vomit. But when you rip your life up from this anchor right here, in times like these, we need a Bible. In times like these, oh, be not idle, be very sure, be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Anchor in on it this week. And when you hear it preached, endorse sound doctrine. Meditate on it. Study it. And then apply it. Father, we love you. Thank you for the word of God this morning. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I pray that you'd cultivate an attitude uh, that, like in Ezra's day, we found the book. We have found the book. And help us not to rely on philosophy and what man thinks. No, the Bible says in the beginning of creation, he made them male and female. The Bible says a man's going to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you that you did not leave us blind and helpless, but you gave us your word. May we love and appreciate it this week and apply it to our lives in Jesus' name.